What's going on, guys? Your boy, your host, George Bukai, back in the Straight Talk Studios, pre-recorded during this COVID-19 time that we have. And man, oh man, do I got a good one. I cannot wait. And I've been a fan for a very long time. I had the pleasure of seeing him in Crossbody in January before everything kind of went haywire and crazy. But I'm honored to bring to Straight Talk Wrestling right now, Speedball, Mike Bailey. How are you, my dude? I'm very well. Thank you for that intro. Very nice. What is that, by the way? Uh, is that a scoreboard behind you? That is right there. Yeah, I'm a big New York uh, Giants fan, and somebody right. hooked me up with that a couple of years ago. So it's a scoreboard. It's got the month and the day and the temperature. Okay, good. Do you use it to keep score of anything? I use, I use it to keep score of how many times I yell at my PlayStation when I lose. That's pretty much about <laughs> it, though. <laughs> good. So, Mike, one of the first questions I always ask everyone, it's kind of my standard go-to, and then it helps the interview flow, is I call it the defining moment. It's that moment in time you remember falling in love with wrestling. Like, you knew it was going to be a part of your life for as long as you possibly could. Do you remember that moment? Yes, I remember that moment very well. It was the first time I saw it when me and my brother were just flipping through the channels on the TV, and we saw Kane trying to set the brood on fire. And we were like, wow, I was seven years old. He was nine or 10. And we're like, wow, this is great. We got to do it. So we like, it took us like maybe one or two like episodes of Raw to decide, okay, that's it. We're taking our mattresses off our beds and we're going to start giving each other suplexes in our bedroom. And who won a couple of those early matches? Was it a draw or did your brother get the upper hand or did you get the upper hand? So we were never like fooled. By, like, wrestling being real or fake, we kind of understood that it was pretty silly already. Um, we So we mostly just started practicing moves right away and uh, kind of understood that, like, the winners and losers were predetermined. Uh, but if we had fought for real, which we did all the time, my brother kicked my ass because he was two years older than me, so quite a bit bigger. But now, I think it might be a different story because I've had the pleasure <laughs> of seeing you fight. And I have to tell you, man, I sat at Crossbody when I saw you in January. I sat three rows, center ring, and I could hear those kicks on Holden Pro. I could feel the pain in his eyes. And I had the pleasure of speaking with Frankie the Beast a couple months back. And when I asked him, I was like, who's one of the guys you love to step in the ring with? And you were the first name he came out to. And quote, unquote, this is what he said. I love Mike Bailey. But I fucking hate that guy because he hits me so hard that I feel it. I feel it all the way down <laughs> into the bowels of my soul. Mike Bailey haunts my dreams. That was a quote from Frankie the Beast King. Oh, wow. He just oh, had wow. nothing. He had nothing but great things to say about you. And then I actually re-interviewed Holden Pro a couple weeks back. And I asked him about the match with you because in preparing for hoping to get this interview, which we've now locked right. down. And he said the next day he was so sore he couldn't even get out of bed because that's how hard you hit. That's how fantastic of a striker you are in the business. And I have to say this. I've seen, I've had the pleasure of seeing a lot of indie guys. I love wrestling. I live it. I breathe it. My wife's a huge fan. You met her that night as well. I have two small girls, my daughters, my daughters are the lights of my life. And I told my daughter, my 10 year old about you and her face, just the whole match. I was describing the whole match in detail. And her face was like this. She just, she was just floored by how incredible you and Holden threw it down that night for the crossbody title. 
And you are hands down one of the best strikers in the business. I don't give a shit what anybody says. I'll put my stamp on it. Anybody watching this video or listening to this podcast, you want to fight me on it, fight me on it. Mike Bailey is no joke when it comes to striking. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Um, there's a lot, a lot of great compliments kind of slipped in there that I won't get to do a rebuttal. But I, um, I can't say best striker in the world because there's a lot, especially in Japan. There's a lot of very, very competent like MMA fighters and kickboxing guys. I like. I do think I have close to the best kicks in pro wrestling at least taekwondo is what i've done i'm a fourth degree black belt in taekwondo so is my brother by the way um but yeah no it's very kick oriented so i've spent like a considerable chunk of my life just practicing kicks so i'd hope they're good i'd hope they're pretty good i mean i've worked really hard at them i can only think of a few guys that are like i consider oh they can kick they can kick really well and who would who would that who might be one or two of those guys on your list that you think are just as competent strikers as yourself? So um I can think of a few Taekwondo guys um spread out across the world. Um Ender Kara, who is uh he is uh, Swedish, but he has spent some time in England as well. Um Yoshiaki Sekai in all Japan has a Taekwondo black belt as well, and I think his kicks are phenomenal. Uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima from NOAA. Uh, a lot of the OWE guys actually can kick very well. I had a match with Gao Jingja, and his kicks are out of this world. So when you... I'm when forgetting you the ability. I know, I'm putting, you, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> When you, get into, when you get into the ring with some of these amazing dance partners that you have, and that's what I call it. it, when you're in the ring and you're telling a story, it is a dance, it is a sequence, and a lot of people right. don't appreciate the art form that it is. And Absolutely. that's what gets me so frustrated. I, I, I love non-ignorant wrestling fans. Oh, it's just guys wrestling around in spandex for a belt. No, it's so much more than that. And if you were to pay attention and pay these guys the respect that they deserve, you would see the art form in its full capacity. And the stories I've been able to watch you tell, thank God for YouTube, because YouTube has put so many of your fantastic matches up there. In preparing the last couple of days for this interview, I rewatched um, my favorite match of yours all time, next to the one you had to hold a pro because I was there and I got to see it live, was you and Kevin Steen from 2010, C4, your first encounter with Kevin Steen. And you guys lit it up for 12 minutes. The decision did not go your way. But I saw you yes. and him take each other to the extreme. And the name Speedball Mike Bailey, it's well-earned because you don't slow down in that ring. I sometimes wonder if you breathe because I don't see it. I just see this flash of lightning and then I hear a hard, you know, and it's like, damn, where, where did that come from? I, I don't know how you do it, but you're damn good at it. So talk to me about, I guess... Deborah from 2010 with Kevin Steen. So um, I'm just going to, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to answer your question first, and then I'll go off on a long tangent about uh, breathing. But, um, yeah, that match with Kevin Steen was my second match in C4 wrestling, I believe, the first one being against Player Uno, which was our, our first singles match we'd had. And that, like, again, that was really, really, 
well received and I think the audience really enjoyed that and that helped them get behind me for the the Kevin match but yeah C4 was really one of those places where I'd been wrestling like in around Quebec for about five years at this point if this is 20 uh 2010 so wow 10 years ago isn't that crazy that's um, insane <laughs> I'd been wrestling for like in Quebec for five years and I was I couldn't say I was good at all I was I like I was trying hard and I had been giving my best everywhere but like this was a pretty dark period for independent wrestling. I don't know if you were watching then, but keep in mind this is before like this is before Twitter and Instagram being I don't know if they actually existed back then or if they did they were completely irrelevant in terms of getting people to come to your wrestling show. Uh, Facebook was kind of around and I guess kind of helped, but it was still difficult. You got most of the people to come to your wrestling show by uh stapling flyers to telephone poles and hoping people see them and somehow decide to show up so like indie wrestling was difficult and there were a few places that actually like had the budget to bring in people that were you know well trained in taking wrestling seriously and could give me as much as advice as i could receive and so c4 giving me the opportunity to wrestle people like player uno who had been doing like loads of chikara and i think some pwg by that point and a bunch of other things um and kevin whom i learned a lot from and like that really opened the door for me to have like matches with people that had wrestled internationally and really were professional professional wrestlers and i could learn that aspect from them so that was really helpful and your long tangent about breathing what do you got to say yeah. about that so um, it actually goes back to many other points that you made, uh, well, like that were framed into your question, but in terms of wrestling being way more complex than just two guys going out there and fighting and like it was in the eighties, I guess. And it didn't have that many layers and it wasn't that complex and people were not telling in America, at least when I say that, I, I mean only the wrestling that was on TV for people to see and that people would be familiar with because great wrestling was always happening all over the world. You just had to work a little bit harder to find it back then. But one thing I've been focusing on actively in my matches lately is taking active breaks. So being able to catch my breath without slowing down the action at all and finding little ways for me to breathe without making it boring to the audience and kind of integrating that and changing the pacing of my matches. Like in accordance with my cardio, I do a lot of wrestling seminars and I always say that cardio in itself is barely relevant to professional wrestling when compared to how you pace yourself. So, so you would say I, pace is more, more important than, I mean, cardio is probably part of it, but pace is, is the key. I would say cardio is 10% and pace is 90%. Right. So this, this, I don't know, have you ever done any combat sports? Um, I played rugby for about six years before I busted my shoulder. That was yes. as close okay. to combat sport as I got. Right. I'm still going to use my boxing example, but I'm sure you'll be able to understand it with rugby. Rugby. So in boxing, there's this this old like this stereotype of the 
like 50 year old boxer who just he's in the ring and he just wants to spar with anyone and he'll do 50 rounds in a row and he won't get out of breath for a second and he's just kind of there and he's like he's a staple at every gym and you can just go and spar with him whatever but he's pretty great but he never gets tired ever because he's been doing this for so long and he has the like the muscle memory and he knows how to breathe when he's boxing and stay relaxed and how to actually like take breaks how to switch in between you know keeping your opponent away with your jab and then knowing that okay now it's time to turn it up oh now i'm getting tired time to slow it down uh you could i'm sure it's the same with rugby you could put a triathlete in a boxing ring and as soon as he saw a punch come to his face he would close his eyes tense up stop breathing and he would be tired within 30 seconds just because he doesn't know how to pace himself which is the exact same thing with pro wrestling you can be a triathlete you can have the best cardio in the world if you don't know how to pace yourself that's all going to be useless so the reason i'm saying this by the way is just uh i want i don't want I don't want to break the illusion of pro wrestling. I think the suspension of disbelief is a big part of it, and it has to feel real when you're watching it, even though you know it's fake. And I don't want people to, like... I still want it to be a bit like magic in that I don't want everyone to know all the tricks, but I am fine with letting people know how it works just so they can appreciate the complexity of it and how that 25-minute match with... Uh, Holden had like a lot of complexities and a lot of thought process that went into making that match the way it is and maximize every moment and make it as as good as possible when we could very easily have went, hey, let's just, you know, let's just go out there and slap the hell out of each other for 25 minutes and it'll be fine, which wrestling was for a long time. But now we're a level where... You need to put thought behind everything. You need to tell a story. And you need to make every cool move mean as much as possible by carefully placing the pieces where they fit the best. You, you, you are, uh, your wrestling IQ is off the charts. And everything you say is everything I understand and appreciate about the business. And now you've actually enlightened me a little bit more because pace does make so much sense. And now thinking back to what you just said, looking back fondly at that match, which is, like I said, one of my favorites with you and with Holden, uh, there was so many layers. And it was because of the pace. You guys told yes. a story that I think stands the test of time. And there's nothing bad I could say about that match, except when this all ends over, I want you to come back and we have to have a part two. There is so much more story to tell, Mike. There, it's not over. It can't be over. So if Ben Orman is, is listening to this, he has to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to be back. I love Ben. I love working for Crossbody. Every time I go, it's a pleasure. Ben is one of the nicest guys that I've like I've ever seen in the business. The first time I saw his setup and after he opened his gym, I told him like how much I believed in what he was doing and how he was doing it. And I think like schools and promotions like like his are exactly what pro wrestling needs right now um i was gonna say something else it just slipped my mind um oh yeah uh the reason i'm like i'm able to like tell such complex stories out there is again i've been doing this for 15 years and i've been 
carefully breaking down and paying attention to what I've, I've been doing. And like, there is not like, none of this is anything. It's something that learning helps, but it's something you really have to do and tweak and make small changes to matches over 15 years in order to, in order to be able to apply to progressive matches. So like, as, as far as being, as having like a high wrestling IQ, I've been doing this for 15 years. I have a lot of matches. Like the experience pays off if you pay attention to it and you're mindful about what you're doing in a wrestling ring. You are. And uh, one of the things I, I love about um, you is that you, you mix styles so well. And you mix styles. I mean, your martial arts background helps in the wrestling ring, your pacing, your IQ, everything is there. And I love it when you meet a wrestler that's not just a wrestler. Okay, yeah, I'm a naturally trained wrestler. That's great. But I think when you add styles to it and you add layers, it adds more of a lifespan to you because you can put together things in the ring that some other people can. If you're just a wrestler, you're taught, you know, all the things that make wrestling fantastic. And depending on your style, you could be a ground game guy, you could be a power guy, you could be a high flyer, you can do all those things. But if you mishmash styles like yourself, it actually adds a whole nother layer when you're telling a story. Do you agree with that? That's exactly right. So the moment that my wrestling kind of switched to the, the, the next level and I like the biggest like jump in my progress as a professional wrestler was when I decided I'm not going to be a professional wrestler. I'm going to be a Taekwondo guy in a professional wrestling match. And I decided I would absolutely like, instead of just trying to learn, like do pro wrestling, like you're trained to be in a very, very like base level, but just focus on what I'm good at, which is acrobatics and Taekwondo and all that then my wrestling took a huge leap. Uh, I know Matt Riddle told me the same thing. Like, he, he, he did years of mixed martial arts, as we, as we probably know. And then he learned, he learned the basics of pro wrestling, and then he tried to wrestle like a pro wrestler for a while, and he realized that it was much better if he just fought like a fighter within a pro wrestling match, and then things would work out better for him. Well, it's actually funny that you mentioned Matt Riddle because one of my other favorite matches of yours is with Matt Riddle back in 2017 at OTT. You guys you had, oh man. Mike, there's not a match of yours I don't like. You are literally hands down one of my favorite guys. And you've been all over the place. You've wrestled all over the world. I mean, Germany, Mexico, Japan, um, the seminars that you've hosted. One of the things I love is that I, I followed you very early on on Facebook. We became friends a couple of years ago, but you have a lot of friends on Facebook. We became friends a few years ago, and I've watched your seminars. I've watched all the pictures you do, all the all the knowledge that you've imparted on people. And that's what I love about pro wrestling, because it's not about trying to be the biggest dog in the yard or trying to be the guy that gets all the attention or gets booked for the best matches. It's about learning, honing, and then giving back. And you do that in right. spades, my man. You do that in spades. Correct. And I, I do it completely selfishly. Like, it's not out of, like, pure generosity that I do it. It's because I realize that, especially in, in Canada or even more specifically Quebec, in places that are just a tiny bit isolated, everyone benefits from being better. So, like, um, there's only a certain potential for pro wrestling shows or how good they're going to be, right? And I'm usually... Like, not to toot my own horn or whatever, but in Quebec, I'm pretty much at the top of that. I'm one of the highest 
paid guys in terms of how much money you can actually get for a, a, a booking in a, for an independent show. But if the whole show becomes better, then from the bottom up, I end up being, I end up benefiting from that. Also, for, by, by everyone understanding wrestling better, by everyone becoming a better opponent for me potentially. By if I'm on the main event of a show and I was able to give a seminar before the show and that made the seven matches before mine just a little bit better, it's just going to be just a little bit easier for me to do my job. I concur with that completely. And uh, you know what? Not only that, sorry. Not only that, but I I love teaching. I enjoy teaching. So doing seminars for me is a pleasure, not a chore. I've been teaching Taekwondo for a lot longer than I've been teaching wrestling. Um, And that's been very good. But I mean, I I encourage all wrestlers who have, who are well-learned or well-trained to give seminars and pass on their learnings. Like even if you don't enjoy teaching, it'll benefit you in the long run. I 100% agree. I love that giving back mentality. You touched on earlier about, we talked about 2010 being a decade ago and how crazy that is. I was 26. I just had my daughter and my whole life is in front of me. Now I'm 36. I got two kids and a mortgage. Life is just passing me by, but I wouldn't change it for the minute, especially with my little girls. But um, you mentioned social media and how it wasn't really relevant then, but it is now. So with all the positives about social media, there's a lot of negative. It gives everybody else their voice. And good or bad, love or hate it, everyone's opinion is out there for the world to see. With all the good that social media does in promoting independent wrestling now, especially putting matches up there, giving YouTube, giving you know independent promotions a platform to share their work, share their stories. As much as there are a ton of good comments, there's a ton of bad comments, and then there's a ton of comments you scratch your head around. I mean, with yes. everyone being entitled to their opinion, what's your take on social media? I mean, we get the positives from it. But when the negative aspects come through, how do you handle that? Because there may be a young wrestler that's just breaking into the business that's learning. And this could be an important part of knowledge to pass on to them. Yeah, so this is this is something I, I think a lot about. And I think um, I realize I'm a professional wrestler. That's what I, I do. And I have a lot of thoughts about professional wrestling. Um and people, like, people follow me for a reason. Like, um, I have things that I'm very passionate about, and I feel like I should say those things. I also have a lot of jokes that I like to make, and I like to interact with my friends, and that's all fine. Um, so I think that's what people want to hear from me, and I think you have to really find out what people want to hear from you and really, like... If something doesn't concern you, but is important, like, for example, there's a lot of, like, inequalities that Twitter was very helpful in raising awareness towards. Um, And I think there's a lot of people that are fantastic at, like, using Twitter for that purpose. And I think you should help those people. You should share their tweets. But um, you should recognize that you don't need to have an opinion on absolutely everything, especially things you don't know about. Um, It's always better to go and research and educate yourself about something than to start tweeting about it before you know, or if not like if, if it's something that concerns you, for example, if you want to be like an ally to whatever minority, then 
unless you're part of that minority, you should probably just educate yourself on it or help and share and follow people that do. And that will be more beneficial for the cause than you as someone who is not really concerned uh, giving your opinion, if that makes any sense. Um, it absolutely, it does. Absolutely. As a, like, as a general rule, um, focus on your strengths as well. If you're a professional wrestler, tweet about professional wrestling. If you're, um, I mean, tw tweet about things you like, tweet about things you care about, but keep it to that. You don't have to tweet your opinion about everything. Um, in terms of advice for wrestlers on social media, tweet about your wrestling. Like, this is the, the basics for every pro wrestler that starts out with a Twitter account. Before you go trying to, trying to go viral or trying to be part of whatever discourse is happening on Twitter that you don't have a very strong opinion on because you haven't researched it that much, tweet about your matches, tweet about your wrestling, tweet a photo every day of what you, you do if, like, wrestling training is a part of you. And, Tweet a picture of you at wrestling training if you go to the gym every day. Tweet a photo at the gym every day. Um, every time you have a match, tweet, hey, I'm about to have this match. This is where you can find it. And after the match, tweet about your experience from the match. And that's how I think wrestlers starting out should treat their social media. 100% agree. I mean, I look at your Twitter following, you have tens of thousands. I look at my Twitter following, I have 350. But that's only because I've been around for two years and my podcast is still growing. So... You know, it is what it is, but I do the same thing. I keep my tweets on my podcast, strictly to my podcast, about who I've interviewed, who I want to interview. And actually, I tweeted a few weeks ago before I reached out to you on Twitter again. And I said, you know, Speedball Mike Bailey's on my list. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to message him again. And I did. And man, how easy was it? It was super easy hey. to get in contact with you. And I'm having a blast. We're about halfway through this thing, but I'm having a fantastic time because you're a great conversationalist and you're parting so much wisdom. I've learned so much today. And that's what I love about having stories and conversations with wrestlers and anyone in this business is because I'm learning so much every day about the business that I love. Things that I didn't even fully understand or comprehend, especially about pacing. I learned about, I thought cardio was everything. You open my eyes to that cardio is 10%, but pace is 90. And that's huge for me. And as at 36 years old, I've learned something today. Check mark off the list completely. <laughs> well, thank you. So in terms of when the world gets back to normal, when we get through yes. this crisis together, when we all rise above it as humanity as a whole and wrestling shows open up again, and then we get to see all of you guys entertain us. And I can't wait for those days. Is there anybody on the indie scene that you kind of have your eyes on that you can't wait? Like when the world comes back to normal, you can't wait to be like, all right, it's ready. It's go time. I got this one. I'm going to get booked with this guy and we're going to make it happen. Is there anybody you have your eye on that you really want to get into the ring with? Wow. Um, that's a really hard question to answer unless you've already thought out your answer in advance. Um, that's why I love these spur of the moment interviews because I ask the tough questions. <laughs> so no, um, honestly, I don't think there's anyone right now that I would like to face. However, uh, my girlfriend, as you know, is Veda Scott, who currently lives in America, and borders being closed, we haven't been able to see each other in a long time and might not be for another few months. Um, however, last time she was in Canada, we had some tag matches 
that were some of the most fun I've ever had in a wrestling ring, just teaming with her. And the way our ideas work and our plans for a match, like how, how copacetic we are on that was really fun. So I can't really think of anyone I would like to wrestle, but all I know is when uh, the border opens up again between Canada and America, I would love to do more tag matches with Veda. Uh, Veda is a talent, man. Oh, she is she is such an amazing talent like yourself. And it's no wonder that you two found each other in this crazy business. And it must be hard right now. And I don't mean to get too personal, but not being able to see her. And I know she posts because I follow her on Instagram as well. I know she's posted a few times about how much she misses you. That must be the one thing you guys are looking forward to the most when the borders open. You're probably just going to spend a week together and and, you know, live it up as a couple because that's got to be the hardest point. But, you know, yeah. it, 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 in terms of my question, uh, developing relationships on the road and, and starting a relationship on the road uh, in the wrestling business, is that a challenging thing when you can't always go to the same promotions together? Or is it kind of one of those situations where absence makes the heart grow fonder? So you don't see each other for a few weeks because you may be on different tours or different stretches, but then you guys come back together. How does that work with the relationship on the road in terms of wrestling? Um, so it hasn't been difficult. Like, I wouldn't say it's been, it's been hard or it's been a, a headache or it's been a chore or it's required a lot more planning. And like, we really had to think ahead in how we schedule our trips and take bookings and in terms of the countries we've been together, like we've taken long stretches together in England, in Japan, in Canada, um, in Germany and in we've wrestled together in a bunch of other places in Europe. Uh, and like, those are all things that require me to be a lot more, um, to have a lot more initiative about and to decide this is what I want to do. This is where I'm going to go, where if I was alone, I maybe wouldn't be so like, so motivated to do them. But because like we get to be together, if we do those things, it's like, it, it's a lot more motivating and it's made like, my career as an indie wrestler a lot easier in terms of making those trips, having a partner with which to make them and just be able to like, for example, um, like just to be able to use both our contacts rather than just the one and like figure out all the travel logistics together has made it a lot easier. Um, but this is, in terms of just a relationship. And I know this is good advice because it's not mine. I heard it on a podcast from an expert and I'm just repeating it. Um, the most important thing for a relationship is just to be creative and to figure out ways to keep things fresh and interesting and not just kind of sit back and let things happen. That's been especially important for us because the way our relationship has worked is basically we spend like a month or two together in one place and then we'll be a few weeks or a month or two apart and just to like again it it's not a challenge it's usually the best part of my day but figure out figuring out things to ways to be together during that time has been very important and it's something that i'm glad i learned to do like and it, it's been paying off now as silly as that seems the fact that we're kind of the fact that we're used to being in a long distance relationship has helped in that this is not a shock for as many couples right now who are in the same situation as we are except they've never had to face that 
Absolutely. I've never had to face that. Luckily enough, I met my wife 18 when I busted my shoulder. My rugby career was over. A month later, I met her and it was never a regret. As soon as I met her, I knew. It's one of those situations, you know, where you, you look at someone. She she paid attention to me, which I don't know how I got her. I married well above my quota because I'm not the best looking <laughs> individual. I can admit that my wife is an absolute stunner and one of the most genuine people in the world. And we've been ha we've been together for 18 years, happily married for going on to 12. And every day I learn something new. And that's the greatest part about, about being married is that I learn something new every day that I didn't know before. So the story of how you guys met is roughly the same as Hank and Peggy Hill. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. So I guess you could say I'm, I'm king of New York. I'm, I'm the king of the hill, but I'm not. Um, I don't sell propane. I do work in transport, but I don't sell propane. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? She's she's everything. She's super special, and uh, I wouldn't trade her for the world. And I'm so happy that I locked her down when I did because. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. So for that guy out there, if he's watching who busted my shoulder on the last game in rugby, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so you mentioned going all over the world and being able to go to all these different places and experience the different cultures. And every fan base in every country has got their own flavor, their own style. Canada, we're loud, we're respectful. America, it's kind of 50-50 depending on the city that you're in. Germany, Japan, they all have their own niche crowds. Out of all the crowds you've wrestled in front of and all the people that have got to see you work, what is the one place that you could remember the crowd just being over the top? Maybe it's back home in Quebec or wherever you... Can you remember a crowd where just everything was over the top electric? I mean, every crowd is probably electric, but there had to have been one place or one country where the crowds were just that little bit more. They kind of kicked it up and made you want to work even harder. So my favorite crowds are easily in Japan. And it's not, it's not how you might think at all. They're not loud. They're not chanting. Like, most of the time, and this is why I, I love them so much, they're paying attention. They're quiet, not because they're not enjoying themselves, but because they're trying to follow along and understand what is happening with the match which makes it a lot more rewarding for you to, again, like try hard and do things that make sense. And that's why long-term storytelling in Japan is so important because people follow the promotions a lot more. And like the same fans, for, for DDT, for example, I know the same 50 fans approximately go to every single show, no matter where it is in Japan, they'll be there. So it's a lot more easier to like focus on storytelling and things you do in the long term makes more sense and mean a lot more, which is the complete opposite of Mexico where I wrestled in front of arenas with thousands of people in them with absolutely no one was paying attention to what was happening in the ring unless there's like a dive going on or unless we're in the middle of a big, you know, spot where everyone is jumping off the top rope. No one cares. That's just because how it is culturally over there. The attitude is... Not, oh, I'm a huge fan of professional wrestling. I can't wait to see those guys. Is hey, the wrestling's in town. Let's go and have a beer there. <laughs> Which is still fun, by the way. Some of the, like, wrestling in Mexico is one of the, like, funnest things you can do. But I, I prefer to see wrestling as something complex. And I like to take all the opportunities I can to 
make it have as many layers and be as deep as possible. So Japan really allows you to do that more than any other place in the world. I haven't been to a Japan show. I haven't been over there yet, but I have plans to go in the near future because I would love to see how the other half lives. Every time I've talked to someone who's been over there, anytime I've I, I could share stories with any wrestler that's been over there, they all pretty much have the same thing to say, that it is electric. And um, I guess two more final questions and then we'll wrap it up. In terms of your career thus far, and like you said, 15 years, and kudos to you on 15 years because it's not easy to be in this business for 15 years and make it work as well as you have. Is there any plateaus in the near future that you're looking to hit to elevate your career? I actually stole this from Holden Pro. I give him credit all the time, but I've now made it my own. He called it level up moments in a video game where you get to that next level and then you rise above. That's what he called it. Breaking through your glass ceiling, whatever cliche you want to use. Is there any level up moments that we can expect from Speedball Mike Bailey once the world gets back to normal or maybe even something he might be working on now? So, no, that's a hard question to answer because I think I would be remiss as a professional wrestler to not be seeking and trying to make the most out of every opportunity that I can. So I'm always looking for whatever that next level is constantly. I know that uh, next year is when I would, in theory, be admissible to go back to the United States. So I'm hoping I can make something happen with that. But aside from that, in the near future, I don't really have any concrete goals that I'm looking at. I'm just going to try to make the best out of everything. Wow. I, I know that when you, you get everything lifted, because you know you got stopped at the border and everything happened with kind of the visas and stuff like that. So just in case people don't think there's some kind of controversy, that is exactly what happened. There was just simple visa issues. Uh, when you are able to go back to the States, uh, you're going to light it up. And I can't wait to see those matches on YouTube because I won't be able to follow you everywhere in the States. But wherever I can get you at a show in the States, I will be there cheering my head off for as a proud Canadian supporting a fellow Canadian. But also, uh, I know you're going to tear it up and you're going to light it up and people are going to remember Speedball Mike Bailey. That's for sure. Because if they don't know who you are after this interview, they definitely will. Because I have been repping you for a long time. I still stare at the I actually have it right next to me here is the autograph with you and Veda that you guys signed for me at the Crossbody Show. I actually tweeted it the next day. Huh? Ah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so it's actually one of my favorite autographs that I have in my studio, and I'm proud to have it on the wall. And now I can officially check mark it off that I've interviewed one half. I just got to get with Veda. So maybe you can hook that up and help a brother out. We can get with Veda. Yeah, okay. Of course, Perfect. I can do that. I appreciate that, sir. And my final question, if there's any young fan listening to this interview, because you're a great teacher and your wrestling IQ and your wisdom is just fantastic. And this interview has been absolutely incredible. I can't thank you enough. Before I ask my final question, I do want to let you know you are officially a member of the Straight Talk family. You have my Skype yeah. ID. I have yours. Anytime you want to come back on the show, I would absolutely love to have you. You are a talent and a pleasure to speak to. But in terms of my final question... If there's any advice you can give to a young fan that's thinking about getting into this business, a young, you know, male or female, doesn't matter, looking to become a wrestler and get in this business, what wisdom would you impart onto them? Yes. So as this being a, a multi-step process, first, assuming you can't start training for pro wrestling yet, go find a, a, ideally a sport or just a discipline that you enjoy and focus on that, whether it's, you know, some things get a little bit closer to pro wrestling and some things get a little bit further. Like uh, martial arts, 
I think are great and probably ideal. Um, dance and gymnastics work fantastically. If you want to go and do like improv and like learn that side of things, that's that's fantastic as well. You just wrestling becomes so much easier when you come into it with a background. Um, going on another long tangent here, but. Uh, we all know Georges Saint-Pierre, the UFC, uh, former UFC champion who's from Montreal. I was listening to an interview with his coach, and he was talking about how MMA works and how in an MMA you have to do, like, five different things at once. And it's very difficult to teach an adult when he comes in and says, hey, get me ready for a fight. It's very hard to teach him all those five things it's better if they have like some components maybe three and then you put those together and kind of make up for the rest i think professional wrestling is a little bit that way um there's no you can't really start training for professional wrestling as a child so what you don't want to do is put yourself in a position where as soon as you start training for pro wrestling you need to learn all all the different components at the same time one of which being learning how to learn, right? Because the way I see it, learning a new skill is also a skill. And the way you take in information and the way you apply it and the way you're able to break things down and just things like learning to go to training consistently is something that you need to first learn before you're able to do it. Um, learning how to... More sports, but for everything else, learning how to take care of your body, learning how to, again, pace yourself in terms of how you train. Those are all things that you, if you want to be a professional wrestler, now that you're you're young or before you go into professional wrestling, you should master or as close to it as possible and then come to pro wrestling with already a skill set that you can then add on top of your professional wrestling base. I couldn't have I couldn't have asked for a better answer to end a fantastic interview. Speedball Mike Bailey, thank you again. You would go enjoy the rest of your Saturday as best as we can in these times. And um, I can't wait to speak to you again at a show or have you back on the show. Whatever works for you, sir. You are an absolute pleasure, an amazing talent. Thank you for the time. Thank you, my friend. All right. Stay safe and we will talk soon. Yes, please. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another episode on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Also follow us on Facebook at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and on Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. And for all our merchandise, you can search us on ProWrestlingTees.com. Oh.